Welcome to the third session of the wisdom and art of storytelling in the Masnavi of Rumi. Rumi himself, in the beginning of his third book, is calling Hesamuddin, his disciple, his most beloved disciple, and he says, "Open the treasury." of secrets in this third book. <laughs> and I hope that Rumi will also open the treasure of secrets in our third session as well. In fact, uh, except the first book of Masnavi, which is preluded by uh, the Song of the Reed, except the first one, the other five books you know, it is uh, altogether six books of Masnavi. And uh, in the beginning of the second and third and to the last, he calls Hesamuddin and he praises him um, lavishly and then asks him to uh, start composing Masnavi, actually. <laughs> uh, he says that this is all composed by Hesamuddin as if Hesamuddin is dictating and Rumi is reciting it. So this Hesamuddin was his second, uh, uh, his second, uh, you could say, beloved of Rumi, second love, you could say, of Rumi. The, his first love was Shamsetabrizi. We... Uh, in, in previous sessions, we, we spoke about his relation with Shamsi Tabrizi. Uh, but when Shamsi Tabrizi suddenly left Rumi and nobody knew whether he was killed or he died or he left forever, for a time Rumi was in search of him. And uh, he loved so much Shams that once in a city where he was searching for Rumi, for Shams, uh, somebody said that, oh yes, I have seen Shams in such and such city, while Shams was actually dead. And uh, Rumi took off his uh, cloak and gave it to him as a gift. And his friend said, well, he is lying. He is lying that he has seen, he has not seen Shams. Rumi said, I know that he is lying. This is for his uh, lying. If he said the truth, I would sacrifice my life. <laughs> I would throw him my life rather than my coat, rather than my cloak. I know that he is lying. So in, this, in the second, he says, uh, he calls uh, Zia ad-Din or Hissam ad-Din, which are the same um, person. In the third, he says, leave aside all excuses and open the treasury of secrets and similarly in the fifth for example he says uh, 
انجمست حسام الدین who is the light of all stars طالب آغاز سفر پنجم است he has asked for the fifth book so we have to start the fifth book and uh, in, this, in the last one he says ای زیاهل حق حسام الدین بسی میل می جوشد به قسم, به قسم سادسی uh, we are very much interested to start a sixth one, a sixth book. So it's all six uh, volumes, six books. And Rumi says the six sides, uh, up and down and right and left and front and back, the six sides uh, get light from these six books. Uh, today I want to refer very briefly to Uh, I mean, to speak a few words about the style or school of, the literary school of Rumi. Um, according to East, Western standards. Because in the East, uh, there are literary schools, of course. We have four literary schools in Persian literature, which is called Khorasani, from Khorasan, in the East of Iran. Um, It is, it is normally named by the place, Araqi, which is the center of Iran, not Iraq, but the center of Iran was called Araq Ajam, means the, the Persian Iraq. And then Sabke Hindi, the Indian style, uh, which is very similar to Baroque style in European, uh, in Western culture. And the last one is uh, Restoration. Restoration to the first, uh, which uh, the latest uh, poets of Iran mostly uh, showed interest in the restoration style. What was that called in Turkish? Gasht, means returning, returning to uh, the first school, which was simple and uh, both in language and subject and very down-to-earth. But in Western culture, we have, we divide normally the schools of literature into two basic categories, uh, the romantic and the classic. The classic comes first and the romantic next. And all other schools like naturalism, realism, and surrealism, and expressionism, and impressionism, state of consciousness novel, and so and so, they all are the children of romanticism. They all came out of romanticism. And Rumi has used both classicism and romanticism in balance and he has created an equilibrium between the qualities of both. Uh, every moment uh, you may find him in a romantic mood and another moment you find him in the classic mood. He has almost all the classical virtues Uh, like uh, philosophy, he has philosophy as a base in his writings. He has reason 
it is intellectual, it is static, it pays attention to the permanent features of life rather than transient, it is more intellectual than emotional sometimes. But then all of a sudden, from this base, he jumps into the other side, to romanticism, and uh, sometimes he does the other way around. From romanticism, he jumps into classicism. For example, from transient features of romanticism, he comes to the permanent features of classicism. From the uh, dynamic um, state of romanticism, he comes to the aesthetic features of classicism. Uh, as well as language is concerned, he is the same. Sometimes he, his language is very lofty, classical, and he uses very difficult um, terminology. For example, um, he uses uh, highly, uh, highly specialized philosophical terms, logical terms, or theological terms. He goes to fair, to kalam, to, to um, all departments of Islamic culture. جز به مصنوعی ندیدی سانعی بر قیاس اقترانی قانعی you, you have contented yourself to know God by some arguments special kinds of arguments and uh, you cannot see God except in the manifestation of something he has created you cannot see him uh, without his creation so Sometimes he is a man speaking to men, like romantics, and sometimes he rises so much to the highest heaven, and it is, he is very far from understanding. Even he himself says that uh, um, even if I say a few more words here, uh, my pen would be burnt. So, but uh, all the time, the story is the same story, the story of man in search of God. And from the first story, which is the story of the maiden, we spoke about it, to the last story, which is very beautiful and gives the Mantegotir, the conference of birds, of Attar, uh, in a different form, uh, all are the stories of love. I'll just give you a sketch of the last story. There are three, uh, there is a king who had three sons. The three princes decide to go around the world to see the world and uh, with no particular aim, with no particular place to go, but just to roam in the world and to wander in the world. This is the state of a person who walks in this world aimlessly and he doesn't know, he just wants to see the world. And sometimes the symbol is a hunter. A hunter is going this way and that way and wherever the game takes it, takes him. But all of a sudden the hunter comes to something, something happens and he stops. According to Avicenna, unless you stop, you cannot start. The first, the first station of the seven cities of love, the first station which is a pursuit, or sometimes we, we could say conversion, pursuit, 
uh, needs a, a rest. You have to come to a rest before you could start traveling. And that rest comes from um, a poem, something happens to you, a love, or um, when you are in company of nature, a bird may give you that state of rest. And then you start. So these three princes uh, start wandering and journeying around the world until they come to a castle, which is called the castle of form, the castle of paintings. It is the castle which has many pictures in it, which is this world. And then suddenly they happen to see a picture on the wall so beautiful, so charming, that they stop there. They stopped there and uh, for a long time they couldn't say a word. They just put their hand in the mouth, a finger in the mouth, and they were bewildered and perplexed what to say. And then this is this, uh, that first uh, rest. And then they asked, well, who is this? And uh, they, they are now in the state of pursuit. The first of those seven cities of love by Attar is pursuit. Then they, they ask anybody that come round, uh, who is this? And somebody tells them that this is, the, this is the daughter of the king of China. The daughter of the king of China is God. A Chinese girl in Persian literature is often a symbol of God in his manifestation as beauty. Uh, actually, Rumi says, Let's grant that you don't see that uh, Chinese girl, but you see that something is dancing in this world. You see the garment moving. So there must be somebody in the garment who is dancing and moving. Who has ever seen a garment dancing without somebody in it? So this Dr. Chini, or Chinese girl, uh, this is the picture. So God has shown himself in, this, in the picture, and then they stop. And then they start going to China. From here they are travelers, and they pass through the seven stations of love. From pursuit they come to love, and from love they come to ma'rifat, uh, which means Gnosticism, or knowledge of course, which is uh, intuitive knowledge. And uh, Rumi wants to say that unless you love, you can know nothing. If you are not a lover, you know nothing. You know only yourself. Even that is doubtful, because you cannot even know thyself. And after love comes ma'rifat or Gnosticism Gnosis, or knowledge. Doctor. Gnosis. Gnosis, yeah. yes, sorry. Gnosis. And uh, then... He finds that, uh, I mean, the three princes go to China and then they find that, uh, oh, such a coy, disdaining, disdainful uh, mistress. This is Estegna, means uh, the fourth station. And then they come to unification. They find out that the whole world turns into one thing for them. 
and then they are perplexed in the sixth station, which is uh, hayrat, perplexity and bewilderment, and the last one is annihilation. And one of the three brothers, uh, who was a true lover, of course, all of them were true lovers, but one of them especially was the winner, who could completely get to uh, final union. And uh, he was the most idle and the most lazy of them. <laughs> you see, this laziness has a special mystical meaning in Persian literature, that they insist that you should be lazy. You should not try too much. You should submit yourself to the will of God. So, from the beginning to end, all the stories of Rumi are to be regarded as love stories, each time in a different feature. Um, you can almost uh, sum them up in a few archetypal forms, uh, which we may do in the last session. Now, in this session, uh, we have several stories. Um, I doubt if we could finish all of them, but uh, we'll start from uh, the first, not, no, the, not the third one, uh, this is, uh, yes, this is the first one, yes. So, will you please yes, read it? <coughs> one night a Bedouin woman said to her husband, and she carried her talk beyond bounds, we are suffering all this poverty and hardship. All the world are living in happiness. We alone are unhappy. You see, here he is romantic. He's talking about ordinary quarrels between a husband and wife and ordinary language. There is a conversation between them, a dialogue and a quarrel. <laughs> yes. We have no bread. Our only condiment is anguish and envy. We have no jug. Our only water is the street, the tears that flow from our eyes. Yes. Our garment by day is the burning sunshine. At night, our bed and coverlet is made of the moonbeams. We fancy the disk of the moon is a disk of a round loaf of bread and lift up our hands towards the sky. Her husband said to her, How long wilt thou seek income and seed produce? What indeed is left of our life? Most of it is past. The sensible man does not look at increase or deficiency because both of these will pass by like a torrent. Whether life be pure, clear and untroubled, or whether it be a turbid flood, do not speak of it, since it is not enduring for a moment. In this world, thousands of animals are living happily, without up and down, without anxiety, the dove on the tree is uttering thanks to God, though her food for the night is not yet ready. You see, you will find the romantic, English romantic poets expressing the same ideas. People like um, Shelley, Wordsworth, um, Keats, and Byron, uh, that uh, you can go to nature and see that the birds are singing and praising God and they, are not, they do not have so much care. What is this life? If full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. See? The nightingale is singing glory to God and saying, I rely on thee for my daily bread. 
O thou who answerest prayer, the falcon has made the king's hand his joy, the place in which he takes delight, and has given up hope of all carrion. Similarly, you may take every animal, from the gnat to the elephant. They have become God's family, dependent on him for their nourishment. And what an excellent nourisher is God. All these griefs that are within our breasts arise from the vapor and dust of our existence and wind of vain desire. These uprooting griefs are as a scythe to us to think that this is such and such or that is such and such is a temptation of the devil to us. Know that every pain is a piece of death. Expel that part of death from thee if there be a means of doing so. When thou canst not flee from the part of death, know that the whole of it will be poured upon thy head. If the part of death has become sweet to thee, know that God will make the whole sweet. Yes, you see here the most important point is that uh, uh, one definition of Socrates for philosophy is that philosophy is a practice of death. It's very interesting definition. But it is right. Because since death is final detachment and separation from everything, so every little detachment you make, renouncement you make, it's a little uh, prepares you for that. So when these small separations are sweet for you, then the whole of it would be sweet for you. I march with stout heart towards contentment. Why art thou betaking thyself to revilement? The wife cried out at him, saying, O thou who makest reputation thy religion, I will not swallow thy spells, thy deceiving speeches any more. Don't talk nonsense in my presumption and pretension. Be gone. Don't speak from pride and arrogance. How long wilt thou utter pompous and artificial phrases? Look at thine own acts and feelings and be ashamed. Pride is ugly and it beggars all the more ugly. It is like wet clothes after a cold snowy day. How long this pretension and palaver and bluster, O thou whose house is frail as the house of a spider? Yes, this uh, is borrowed from the Quran. Uh, the house of the spider is the, the most weak and frail houses. And so he says that you have made the house for me like the house of Ankabut, house of a spider. When hast thou illumined thy soul by contentment? Of contentment thou hast learned only the name. The prophet said, What is contentment? A treasure. Thou canst not distinguish the gain from the pain. This contentment is the soul's treasure. Do not thou boast of possessing it, O thou who art grief and pain to my soul. Thou beguilest me with the name of God in order that thou mayst expose me to shame and confusion. The name of God enthralled me, not thy contrivance. Thou madest the name of God a trap. Woe to thee! The name of God will take vengeance from thee on my behalf. 
I commit my soul and body to the name of God. Don't call me thy mate. Don't flap so much. I am the mate of justice. I am not the mate of fraud. Yes. Oh, woman, said he, art thou a woman or the father of sorrow? You see, there is a um, pun playing with the word zan and hazan. Hazan means sorrow, and zan is woman. So he says, are you a zan or a hazan? Are you a woman or a father of sorrow? <laughs> Poverty is my pride, and do not thou beat me on the head. Yes, this poverty is my bride, my, my pride is a tradition from Muhammad. He said, I am poor and poverty is my, bride, my pride. Wealth and gold are as a cap to the head. It is the bold man that makes a shelter of his cap. But he that has curly and beautiful locks is happier when his cap is gone. See, in the past, uh, nobody came out with a bald head like this. So, uh, they usually use a hat. So, Rumi says, well, those who have a hat, which means wealth and riches, uh, it is just because they don't have uh, beautiful crest, uh, curls and tresses. If they had, they would prefer that uh, a wind would take off their uh, hat. Yes, yes. indeed. <laughs> the man of God, the saint, resembles the eye. Therefore, his sight is better bare than covered. When a slave dealer offers slaves for sale, he removes from the sound slave the garment that hides defects. But if there be any defect, how should he strip the slave? Nay, he tricks the purchaser by means of the garment. If thou keep silence, tis well. And if not, I will do so, I will do that at this very moment I will leave my house and home. Oh, this is the threat, of course. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. When the wife saw that he was fierce and unmanageable, she began to weep. Tears in sooth are a woman's lure. She said, When did I imagine such words from thee? I hoped of thee something different. The wife approached by way of the self-knotting زن در آمد از طریق نیستی گفت من خاک شمایم نیستی I am just uh, your dust I'm, I'm nothing yes. I am my dust said she not worthy to be thy lady wife body and soul and all I am is thine the entire authority and command belongs to thee if because of poverty my heart has lost patience it is not for my sake but for thine. Thou hast seen my remedy in afflictions. I am unwilling that thou shouldst be penniless. I uttered infidelity, blasphemy. Lo, I have returned to the true faith. I am come to submit with all my soul to thy command. In this fashion was she speaking graciously and winningly. Meanwhile, a fit of weeping came upon her. When the tears and sobs passed beyond bounds from her who was fascinating even without tears, there appeared from that rain a lightning flash that shot a spark of fire from the heart of the lonely man. You see such a beautiful image that uh, because of that rain, it was raining, mm -hmm. and then out of that raining, 
there came a lightning as well. And that lightning burnt the heart of the man totally. And then Rumi explains how is it that uh, the tears from a lady is so impressive. Uh, yes. yes. She sat, she by whose beauteous face man was enslaved. How will it be when she begins to play the humble slave? She at whose haughtiness thy heart is trembling, how wilt thou fare when she falls a-weeping before thee? She from whose disdain thy heart and soul are bleeding, how will it be when she turns to entreaty? Rumi wants to say that uh, ladies, women, are on the throne of uh, coyness, on the throne of uh, uh, disdainfulness. Mm. So, and man is on the throne of uh, uh, prostration mm. and need and he, and yes, and begging, mm. yes. So when it is the other way round, the man cannot stand it. <laughs> yes. The roles are reversed. Yes, because... Yes. She in whose tyranny and cruelty we are snared, what plea shall we have when she rises to plead? Yes. The love of desired things is decked out for men. God has arranged it. How can they escape from what God has arranged? Then he is referring to a verse in the Quran that God has ornamented, has made charming women in the eye of men. And what God has done, who can escape from it? Who can escape from it? Zoyena Lenos. <laughs> حق آراست است زن چه حق آراست کیتانند رست yes in as much as he treated her the woman that he Adam might comfort in her might take comfort in her how can Adam be parted from Eve چون پی یسکن تسکن الیهاش آفرید it's again another verse in the Quran that we have created women so that you get rest from all the motions and commotions of the world. So, since God has created her for this purpose, so how can we get away from her snares? Though the husband be Rostam, son of Zol, and greater than Hamze in valor. Yes, Rostam is the national uh, hero of Iran, the Hercules, and... uh, Hamze is a hero in the uh, Muhammad's uh, fight against uh, infidels. Mm. And also Muhammad's uh, uh, uncle, no, no, no. Uh, cousin. Cousin. Yes. <clears throat> Though the husband be Rostam, son of Zol, and greater than Hamza in valor, as regards authority, he is his old woman's captive. The prophet, to whose words the whole world was enslaved, used to cry, Speak to me, O Humeira. Yes, Kalimini ya Humeira. This is a tradition uh, from Muhammad that he, every now and then, he asked Humeira to speak for him while he spoke for the whole world. But he asked Humeira, his wife, Aisha. to speak. Aisha, yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. The water prevailed 
over the fire by its dread onset. But the fire makes it seethe when the water is screened in the cauldron. When a cauldron comes between them, O king, the fire annihilates the water and converts it into air. If outwardly thou art dominating thy wife, like the fire-quenching water, yet inwardly thou art dominated and art seeking the love of thy wife. Yes, this image is very insightful in relation between man and woman. And Rumi wants to say if there is nothing between them, it's all liberality, then it's no good. When it is all uh, stopped and uh, all the relation is stopped, it's no good. Because it's like uh, you have fire here and the pot here. It never boils. And if there is no pot at all, the fire is here and the water comes to the fire and it is extinguished, yeah. it's no good. So there should be a balance <laughs> so that uh, the heat comes to the water and turns water into hava. Hava means air, but at the same time it means love. Uh, so if there is something between them which is the pot and the water is in the pot so it would boil in the course of time but it should be quite near the fire <laughs> if our, uh, this is characteristic of man alone to the other animals love is wanting and that want of love arises from their inferiority to man. The prophet said that woman prevails exceedingly over the wise and intelligent. Yes, there is a tradition from Muhammad that anyone who is uh, intelligible and a good man is predominated by his wife, by women. Yes. But those who are cruel and uh, more have bestial tendencies they are predominating over their wives. Yes. Well, so you see that Rumi is a feminist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of, the, uh, of the utmost uh, and most, uh, I mean, he, he has his philosophical arguments behind it. Yes. Well, that's also the Not Su just, uh, yes. Sufi position as well. Yes, the Sufi position generally is this. Well, on the other hand, ignorant men prevail over women. For in them the fierceness of the animal is imprisoned. They lack tenderness, kindness, and affection because animality predominates over their human nature. Love and tenderness are human qualities. Anger and lust are animal qualities. Woman is a ray of God. She is not that earthly beloved. She is creative. You and might say she is not created. This is the highest praise of women that they are not actually created, they are creators. You see, it is uh, a light from God coming to the earth. So it seems as if they are not created, but they are creators, which they are really. Yes? The man became as sorry for that speech of his as at the hour of death a tyrannical officer is sorry for his tyranny. Yes. Let me recite the Persian poem. Um, in this last poem by Rumi, Partove Hakast on Mashur Nist, Holegaston, Guia Mahlur Nist. Yes. 
So this, I have brought it to an end here, and I leave the rest of the stories for yourself to study in Masnavi. But uh, you see, in the uh, is it finished? No, oh, yeah. no. Yeah, that story is finished. Then we come to the next story here. Yes. Two. Yes. Uh, so Rumi goes on to say that uh, finally the man, Mard Goft Aknun Gozashtam Askhelov. The man said, okay, whatever you say is all right. I'll do it. Mard Goft Aknun Gozashtam Askhelov. Tir Hokim Dari Tir Batisht Askhelov. You can take off, take uh, out your sword. From the scabbard. Yes, from the scabbard, yes. Harchegui mantor of Harmon Baram, Dar Badu, Dar Nietzsche on me Nangaram. Whatever you say, I'll obey and I'll not think about whether it is going to prove good or not. And then, the, at the suggestion of his uh, wife, uh, he decides to go to the caliph or to a king. According to Rumi, to a king, which is Bahram Shah Ghaznavi, who was a very good king and very just and very generous. And then he, she, she suggests that it's better that we uh, take uh, some gift for the king. And then they think about the gift and they decide that it's better to take him a pitcher of water which was troubled water and not uh, pure water. But anyway, for them, it was quite exceptional. Mm -hmm. Say, so maybe they don't have water. It's mm -hmm. better that we take them some water. And then they take the water uh, to the king, and the king doesn't tell them anything, and he drinks the water, and then fills the pitcher with uh, gold coins mm -hmm. and gives back to them. So the, the king is God, and the pitcher is our services. Mm -hmm. We take it to God, and we think that we have taken some gift, something, which is nothing. Yes. The next one, please. Yes. A number of... <coughs> oh, yes. Here in this second story um, introduces you to a particular category of Rumi's stories, and that is discussion stories and debate stories. There is a discussion, a dialogue, or a debate, often hot disputations between two groups about some theological or mystical ideas. Here, the subject is uh, free will and determinism, or predestination. Uh, one group believe in predestination, mm -hmm. uh, the animals, I mean, the, the games in the jungle. And then the lion is a symbol of uh, free will and he is a naturalist, uh, sorry, existentialist. <laughs> he says that we have to do our best and we have to make efforts and everything comes out of our own efforts. Mm -hmm. So there is a discussion between the two groups and then Rumi does not want to uh, refute one or the other of the groups. He wants to say that both of them are right. You see, he does not uh, speak in favor finally to any uh, side of the discussion mm. of the dispute mm -hmm. yes okay. a number of beasts of chase in a pleasant valley were harassed by a lion inasmuch as the lion was springing from ambush and carrying them away that pasturage had become unpleasant to them all they made a plot they came to the lion saying 
We will keep thee full fed by means of a fixed allowance. Do not go after any prey beyond thy allowance, in order that this grass may not become bitter to us. Yes, they said that every time one of us sacrifices itself for thee, and then so don't come after us and let us have our uh, grazing and don't trouble us. Yes, said he, if I see good faith on your part, not fraud, for often have I suffered frauds from Zaid and Bak. Yes, Zaid and Bak are two common male names, like Jack and Jill or Jack and John. Tom, Dick and Harry. Yes, <laughs> Tom, Dick and Harry, yes. yes. I am done to death by the cunning and fraud of men. I am bitten by the sting of the human snake and scorpion. But worse than all men in fraud and spite is the man of the flesh lying in wait within me. My ear heard the believer is not bitten twice and adopted this saying of the prophet with heart and soul. Yes, it's a tradition from Muhammad that a believer is not stung by the same hole two times. means he has to gain experience from the first time and then put not his finger in the same hole from which he has been bitten. Gushman la yuldaqul mu'min shinid qawl peygamber be gush jan shinid. They all said, oh knowing sage, let precaution alone. It is of no avail against the divine decree. In precaution is the embroilment of broil and woe. Go put thy trust in God. Trust in God is better. Do not grapple with destiny, O fierce and furious one, lest destiny also pick a quarrel with thee. One must be dead in presence of the decree of God, so that no blow may come from the Lord of the daybreak. Yes, more Lord of the daybreak is again a, a quotation from Koran. Yes. Yes, he said, but if trust in God is the true guide, yet use of the means too is the prophet's rule, his sunnah. The prophet said with a loud voice, while trusting in God, bind the knee of thy camel. Hearken to the signification of the earner, the worker, that the worker is beloved of God. Yes, there is again a tradition that al-kasibu habibullah, a person who works is beloved by God. Through trusting in God, do not become neglectful as to the ways and means. The party of beasts answered him, saying, Regard acquisition arising from the infirmity of God's creatures as a mouthful of deceit proportionate to the size of the gullet. There is no work better than trust in God. What indeed is dearer to God than resignation? You see, in disputation, all of them seem to be quite uh, reasonable and uh, they seem to be right. And they accept part of the saying of the other and then deny the other part. They say it is all right, we have to work. But what work is better than trusting in God? You see, they turn it to their own uh, benefit. Often do they flee from affliction only to fall into affliction. Often do they recoil from the snake only to meet with the dragon. 
and there are many such stories. Man devised something, and his device was a snare, wherein he was trapped. That which he thought to be life was actually the drainer of his blood, his destroyer. Yes. In fact, they want to say that man proposes and God disposes. Mm. Yes. He locked the door while the foe was in the house. The plot of Pharaoh was a story of this sort. That vengeful man slew hundreds of thousands of babes while the one he was searching after was in Pharaoh's own house. Yes, he is referring again to a story in the Quran that Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt, mm. uh, had heard from astro astrologers that somebody would appear and would put him to death. So, and a child who is going to grow up and kill him will be born in such and such night. And then he made his best to stop it, and he couldn't. They're referring to that. That story is in the Bible as the well. The story is in the Bible as Pharaoh well. Pharaoh and Moses. Yes. Birth of Moses. Since in our eyesight there is much defect, go, let your own sight pass away in the sight of the friend of God. Yes, said the lion, but the Lord of his servants set a ladder before our feet. Step by step we must climb towards the roof. To be a necessitarian here is to indulge in foolish hopes. Yes, Shir Goft Ari Vali Rabbi Ebad Nardebani Pishapoimonahot. Pele Pele Raft Boyasui Bomb. Yes, it is right. You see, both of them say, Yes, you are right, but <laughs> you see, yes, you are right, but uh, we have uh, God has given us a ladder and so we have to go up the ladder. Yeah. And the ladder is uh, ring by ring, mm. is it right? Rung by rung, rung. By, yes, rung mm. by rung. And uh, it is uh, immaturity to jump to the rung by, rung by yes, rung mm. by rung. And uh, it is uh, Im immaturity to jump to the highest heaven yeah. without this uh, ladder. Mm -hmm. You have feet. Why do you make yourself out to be lame? You have hands. Why do you conceal the fingers whereby you grasp? He wants to say that the, the very fact that God has given us hand, it means that you have to work. Hmm. It is just uh, as if uh, your Lord, uh, your boss, I could say, <laughs> uh, gives you uh, a spade. Yes. What does that mean? It means that you have to uh, start working in the field. Hmm. So these hands and feet and ears that we have are s s suggestions and signs of God that we have to work and we should not depend on his will only. Right? This is what the lion says. When the master put a spade in the slave's hand, his object was made known to him without a word falling from his tongue. Hand and spade alike are God's implicit signs our powers of thinking upon the end are his explicit declarations. If you are putting trust in God, put trust in him as regards your work. Sow the seed, then rely upon the Almighty. Yes. You see, the lion says, it's all right, we have to trust in God. But we have to trust in God through our works. From the beginning of the world, myriads of generations have opened a hundred mouths like dragons. 
Those clever people devised plots of such power that the mountain thereby was torn up from its foundation. The glorious God described their plots when he said, Though their guile be such that the tops of the mountains might be moved thereby. This is again a, a, a verse from the Quran that uh, uh, they tried hard and then they couldn't achieve what they were aiming for. But except the portion which came to pass, that which was predestined in eternity, nothing showed its face from their scheming and doing. Yes. They all fell from, they all failed in plan and act. The acts and decrees of the Maker remained. O illustrious one, do not regard work as aught but a name. O cunning one, think not that exertion is aught but a vain fancy. Well, then the beasts uh, give an illustrative story uh, why our exertions come to nothing and are of no avail. This is the story of Israel. Mm -hmm. Israel is the uh, death angel in uh, Islamic culture. Yeah. Well, Israel. It is used, yes, is Israel, yes. It is used in the Bible as yes, well, I think, yes. yes. One forenoon, a freeborn nobleman arrived and ran into Solomon's Hall of Justice, his countenance pale with anguish and both lips blue. Then Solomon said, Good sir, what is the matter? He replied, Israel cast on me such a look so full of wrath and hate. Come, said the king, what boon do you desire now? Ask it. O oh, protector of my life, said he, command the wind to hear, bear me from here to India. Maybe when thy slave is come hither, he will save his life. Lo, the people are fleeing from poverty. Hence are they a mouthful for the covetous and expectation, for covetousness and expectation. The fear of poverty is like that man's terror. Know thou that covetousness and striving are like India in this tale. Solomon commanded the wind to bear him quickly over the water to the uttermost part of India. Yes. Actually, India in Persian literature has several symbolic meanings. One is this world, mm. this whole world. And one is our exertion. People want to go. India is, was very far, regarded to be very far. So to go to India means to, be, to make the most and to exert oneself to achieve one's aims and goals. A, a sign of avarice and coveting. Yeah. Next day, at the time of conference and meeting, Solomon said to Israel, Didst thou look with anger on that Muslim in order that he might wander as an exile far from his home? Israel said, When did I look on him angrily? Yes. I saw him as I passed by and looked at him in astonishment. For God had commanded me, saying, Hark, today do thou take his spirit to India. From wonder I said to myself, Even if he has a hundred wings, tis a far journey for him to be in India today. In like manner, judge of all the affairs of this world and open your eye and see. From whom shall we flee? From ourselves? Oh, absurdity! From whom shall we take ourselves away? From God? Oh, crime. You see here, this last line, as kibogrizim, as chod, 
این محال با که بستیزیم با حق این وبال see all of a sudden out of the story he is expressing one of the deepest and most profound ideas in Islamic philosophy that uh, whatever happens to us it is a part of us you know when uh, in Shahnameh Ferdowsi when Rostam kills his own son unknowingly uh, and is bemoaning and bewailing uh, the son says no don't uh, be sorry about that because it is a part of being Sohrab Sohrab was the son it's a part of my being uh, it, the key was given only to you it was the door of my life so Rumi believes that whatever you see outside whatever happens to you it is not because of the outside it's because of you so you can never escape from yourself because if it is a part of you it will happen to you It's a part of you. As kibogrizim, as khud, how can we escape from our own self? It is impossible. Yes? Yes, said the lion. But at the same time, consider the exertions of the prophets and the true believers. God exalted as he prospered their exertion. You see, again, the lion says, yes, it is right. <laughs> But... Uh, Uh, you see that uh, so many prophets and saints in the world have exerted and they have worked hard and they have decided to do this and that and they were not necessarily necess uh, uh, say determinists. Mm, that's right. Yes. Uh, God prospered their exertion and what they suffered of oppression yes, and, it, and yes. heat and cold. Their plans were excellent in all circumstances. Everything done by a goodly man is goodly. Their snares caught the heavenly bird. All their deficiencies turned to increment. O oh, Master, exert thyself so long as thou canst in following the way of the prophets and saints. Endeavor is not a struggle with destiny, because destiny itself has laid this endeavor upon us. Plots for gaining the things of this world are worthless, but plots for renouncing this world are inspired by God. Yes, You see, here Rumi is teaching again. He has forgotten about the story of the animals. <laughs> he is giving his own points of view, his own teachings that, yes, it's good to be... Um, when we say renounce the world, it doesn't mean the bounties and the good things of the world. It means ignorance and being uh, negligent of God. What is the world? The world is just being negligent. Uh, of God so if you are rich and you, you are not negligent of God it's okay it's, so he says that richness is like the water if it is inside the ship it would drown the ship if it is not for your own self but if it is outside then it is uh, very good and it is um, a steed for the ship to walk on to move on The right plot is that the prisoner digs a hole in his prison in order to escape. If he blocks up the hole, that is a foolish plot. This world is the prison, and we are the prisoners. Dig a hole in the prison and let yourself out. What is this world to be forgetful of God? Yes. It is not merchandise and silver and weighing scales and women. Because they often blame Sufism and mysticism 
uh, that, well, you want to renounce the world and you are calling people not to work and not to pay attention to this world, so what is going to happen in this world? Uh, Rumi answers that it doesn't mean that. It is only forgetfulness, which means dunya. Dunya means uh, forgetfulness of God. You can enjoy yourself in the world. As regards the wealth that you carry for religion's sake, how good is righteous wealth for the righteous man, as the prophet recited? Yes, there is a tradition that ni'mamalun uh, saleh, how good, what a, what a blessing is uh, a good riches, good wealth. Water in the boat is the ruin of the boat, but water underneath the boat is a support. Since he cast out from his heart the desire for wealth and possessions on that account, Solomon did not call himself by any name but poor. According to traditions and stories about Solomon, uh, he often used to say, Anal miskin, I am poor, I am in poverty, while he was the king of the world and he had so many treasures. Because see, he had detached himself from those treasures. That is why he called himself poor. Mm. In a spirit he was. Yes. There's even an expression, Dr. Elahi, apparently, yeah. uh, that says that the state of Solomon with all, in all his wealth and power yeah. and that of Job, having been deprived of everything, was the same. Yes, the same, yes, exactly. Exertion is a reality, and medicine and disease are realities. The skeptic, in his denial of exertion, practiced and thereby affirmed exertion. And this is the most convincing argument of the lion which they cannot answer. Because he says that you have been disputing with me about exertion, that exertion is no good. So you have exerting yourself so many times and you are trying hard to convince me. So it means that you have to try. And uh, you see, jahat haqqastu dawa haqqastu dard. This is what I have written here in calligraphy. Munkinan dar jahd jahdash jahdgat. You know, we have two jahd. One means exertion, and the other means uh, denial. So the one who is denying by the mere fact that he is denying and he is insisting, insisting on his denial, it means that he is uh, giving an affirmative uh, <laughs> vote to it. Yes. But Rumi, uh, not here, but in other places in Masnavi, he refers again and again to this story of Jabr and Ikhtiar, means determinism and free will, fatalism and free will, or predestination. Uh, and uh, some people might think that he speaks even contradictory. If he is a follower of predestination, then why, why are these stories? If he is not, why he says the other way? Uh, but the answer is that love is the meeting place of all contradictions. Love is a free will which, is, which has no freedom. Because when you are a lover, you freely, out of your own sweet will, you accept to be ruled by your beloved. So it is both predestination and free will at the same time. But, of course, this is the love of uh, David, father of Solomon, mm. that uh, is the love of, you know, according to stories, uh, 
both in the Bible uh, and in the Quran. Um, David had 99 wives and he coveted the wife of his neighbor as well. And Rumi in Masnavi is somewhere uh, quoting from Daruqi. I mean, in the words of Daruqi, he says, yes, he is right. David was right. I am the same like David. Because uh, um, avarice in love is a virtue. Although avarice is a vice, but when it comes to love, love turns all vices into virtue. It's very good. And I am sitting in, in the midst of the uh, if I'm sitting in the midst of the ocean, but still I want the pitcher uh, of water as well. It means that it is, uh, it doesn't mean that really 99 wives. Rumi's uh, interpretation or commentary is that it means love is not 99%, it is 100%. You have to, not one is to be excluded. If there is one person in the whole world whom you cannot love, then you are not a lover. So love is 99%, not 100, sorry, 100%, not 99%. And Attar also in Mantogotir refers to it. Takonandat, khushbenal az dard dil davudwar, takonandat har nafas sadjan nisar. Then you, if you become like David, and sing like David in love, then every moment they would offer you a hundred souls, a hundred new life. So uh, the key to all problems in Masnavi is love. You see, when you ask, for example, what is the difference between cause and effect? Love. Love is the final solution. A bunch of keys is underneath, under the arm of love. He has come to open all doors. Yes? And uh, the third one? Shall we, we have time to, to read the third one as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. Moses saw a shepherd on the way. Oh, oh, this is the most beautiful. Uh, where is the third one? Oh, you don't have a copy? Yes. 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 You don't have it? No. Okay. Are there other copies? Yeah. Right? Moses saw a shepherd on the way who was saying, O God, who choosest whom thou wilt, where art thou that I may become thy servant and sew thy shoes and comb thy head? that I may wash thy clothes and kill thy lice. You see here, you will find Rumi, how very romantically speaking, he is speaking in the lang language of a shepherd and using his uh, everyday words and everyday ideas mm -hmm. about God. Yes? Uh, thy that I may wash thy clothes and kill thy lice and bring milk to thee, O worshipful one, that I may kiss thy little hand and rub thy little foot, and when bedtime comes, I may sweep thy little room. O thou to whom all my goats be a sacrifice, O thou in remembrance of whom are my cries of I and ah. Yes, a beyodat hey heyo hey ha man, a fado yetohame buz man, all my goats be sacrificed. Because uh, the shepherds often say, hey, come on, uh, calling the 
It goes hey hey and hi hi. Yeah. Yes. Actually, to, to really put this across, it should be read in a sort of good Yorkshire or West Country accent, you know, with yeah. a good rich tone. Yeah. Uh, the shepherd was speaking foolish words in this wise. Moses said, Man, to whom is this addressed? He answered, To that one who created us, by whom this earth and sky were brought to sight. Here, Moses is a symbol of formalism. He is not referring to the prophet, actually. Mm. He, he has um, borrowed him as a symbol. Because Moses is the lawgiver. Yes, because, yes, of course, there is reason behind it. He yeah. was a lawgiver, so he is uh, being used as a symbol yes. here. He answered to that one who created us, by whom this earth and sky were brought to sight. Hark! said Moses, you've become very backsliding. Indeed, you have not become a Muslim. You have become an infidel. Even before becoming a Muslim, you are an infidel. What babble is this? What blasphemy and raving? Stuff some cotton into your mouth. The stench of your blasphemy has made the whole world stinking. Your blasphemy has turned the silk robe of religion into rags. Shoes and socks are fitting for you, but how are such things right for one who is a son? If you do not stop your throat from uttering these words, a fire will come and burn up the people. The shepherd said, Oh, Moses, thou hast closed my mouth, and thou hast burnt my soul with repentance. He rent his garment and heaved a sigh and hastily turned his head away towards the desert and went his way. A revelation came to Moses from God. Thou hast parted my servant from me. Didst thou come as a prophet to unite or didst thou come to sever? See, here Rumi is giving the main function and message of all prophets in this world. They have come to unite, not to separate. So far as thou canst, do not set foot in separation. Of all things, the most hateful to me is divorce. This is again a tradition from Muhammad that he said, I, uh, this, I hate nothing more than divorce. I have bestowed on everyone a special way of acting. I have given to everyone a peculiar form of expression. In regard to him, it is worthy of praise. In regard to thee, it is worthy of blame. In regard to him, honey. And in regard to thee, poison. I am independent of all purity and impurity, of all slothfulness and alacrity in worshipping. Yes. He wants to say even what the, the saints and prophets say about God is no better than the, the things that uh, the shepherd was saying. So when you say, oh, glorified you are, it is the same as those <laughs> babbling of the, the shepherd. Yeah. We are away from, we, are, we transcend all the purities and impurities. Mm. Yes. The religion of love is apart from all religions. For lovers, the only religion and creed is God. Mm -hmm. 
If the ruby have not a seal graven on it, tis no harm. Love is the sea of in the sea of sorrow is not sorrowful. Ishq dar daryoyakam kam noknis. One of the sure signs of being a lover is to be happy. Even if you are in the ocean of sorrows, love is happy even in the ocean of sorrows. Mm. After that, God hid in the inmost heart of Moses mysteries which cannot be spoken. Words were poured upon his heart. Vision and speech were mingled together. Yes, you know, because before that, uh, Rumi often refers that Moses uh, was not a man of vision, but a man of hear. Because he was Kalimullah, he spoke to God through ears. But here he says that uh, they mixed vision and words together. And Moses was raised one stage from ear to eye. How oft did he become beside himself, and how oft returned to himself? How oft did he fly from eternity to everlastingness? Yes. Chan parid as azal sui abad. So many times, in one moment, so many times, he jumped from this eternity, from pre-eternity to post-eternity, mm-hmm. and then back in one moment. If I should unfold his tale after this, is foolishness in me because the ex- I would be foolish to explain anything more about this yes. because the explanation of this is beyond our understanding and if I should speak thereof it would root up men's minds and I should write thereof it would shatter many pens when Moses heard these reproaches from God, he ran into the desert in quest of the shepherd. He pushed on over the footprints of a bewildered man. He scattered dust from the skirt of the desert. The footstep of a man distraught is in truth distinct from the footsteps of others. At one step he moves like the rook straight from top to bottom of the chessboard. Yes. Rumi often refers to the fact that a lover is totally different whether he walks, whether he talks, whether he runs or sits, in all features, in all, all behaviors, he's totally different. And he says that if you close my eyes and there is one lover out of a thousand, I can tell you where he is standing. <laughs> yeah. By one word, you can say whether he is a lover or not. At one step, he goes crossways like the bishop. Now lifting his crest like a wave, now going on his belly like a fish, now writing a description of his state on some dust, like a geomancer who takes an omen by drawing lines on earth or sand. At last, he, Moses, overtook and beheld the shepherd. The, the giver of glad news said, Permission has come from God. Do not seek any rules or method of worship. Say whatsoever your distressful heart desires. And it's very wonderful from a lawgiver to say there is no law. <laughs> you see? <laughs> it's very wonderful. And goft mujdehte bad chis goft mujdehke dast ke dasturi resit. Hich tartibi adabi maju. Hachemi khahad dele tangat begu. 
Say whatever you like. Yeah, whatever you like. Yes. Yes, you've got carte, no problem. You've got carte blanche. Yes. And he wants, he wants to say that uh, when you come to love, when you are a true lover, all prohibitions are allowed mm. for you. Because uh, this is a quotation from English literature that um, the poet says that I uh, never resist any temptation because nothing bad tempts me. <laughs> so a lover should submit to all temptations, whatever he wants. He is, what is that word, ebahi, in English? Um, antinomianism. Antinomianism, yes. He is free to do all he wants. Oh, ebahi would be libertinism. Libertinism, libertinism yes, libertinism, yes. Right, yes. 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 Your blasphemy is the true religion and your religion is the light of the spirit. You are saved, and through you our whole world is in salvation. O oh, you who are made secure by God, doeth whatso he willeth. Go loose your tongue without regard for what yes. you say. You see, this uh, God doth whatso he willeth, it's uh, again a verse from the Quran, and God can do whatever he likes. So a lover of God is the same. He is ma'af, he is exempted from all prohibitions, from all laws. Four Indians went into a mosque. They bowed their heads and prostrated themselves for worship's sake. Each one performed the takbir, following upon a niyat, and began to pray with lowliness and contrition. When the muezzin came, from one of them fell a remark, Oh, Mwezin, have you given the call to prayers? Is it time? Second Indian said on the spur of the moment, Hey, you have spoken, and so your prayer is null. You know, in Islamic prayers, when you stand to pray, you have not to utter any word except those particular words which have been designed to be said in your prayer, mm. which is a chapter of the Quran and some other particular words. So if you say just a casual word, then your prayer would be null, mm. and you have to start again. That's right. So one of them said something <laughs> yeah, to the Muslim, means the caller to God. The third one said to the second, Oh, uncle, why do you rail at him? Tell yourself how to behave. Said the fourth, Praise be to God that I have not fallen into the pit of error like these other three persons. Yes. And Chaurum Goft, Hamdullah Kiman, Darna Yuftodan Bicha, Chon Insetan. Uh, thanks God that I am. I did nothing. I said nothing. <laughs> yes. See, so he wants to say that those who find fault with people, they are not aware of their own faults, and a fault finder uh, finds fault all the time, and so he is full of faults himself because he is a fault finder. Right. <laughs> because he finds so many faults. Fault, yes. yes. So, yeah. Takes yeah. one to know one. Yes. Yeah. I think that we will not have time enough to go through this last part, which is very deep, and he has summed up, Rumi has summed up all um, schools of theology in Islamic as well as in Christian and Christ, uh, uh, Jewish hmm. culture. Uh, and he wants to say that uh, all of these schools have a grain of truth in them. And you have, if you can take out the grain and leave the chaff, then you can make use of all of them. 
but it is in one of the most interesting stories which can be cons- categorized as a political story in which Rumi says how um, a Jewish vizier, a Jewish minister deceives people and then he becomes a leader, a great leader and a saint for the Christians while he was a Jew and then um, he misleads them and uh, misguides them thank you very much I would, I would just like to insert yes, one thing. There are two, two things I want to... Excuse me, with your permission. Yes. First of all, we have a tape of the last story in Persian, the Masnavi being sung, the same story. I want to put yes. that on briefly. The other thing is, given your background in the Masnavi, I'd just like to draw your attention, everyone's attention, actually, to two very important things in this. One is, in the first part, where we talked about woman as a ray of God. There's no story in, in any of the world's literature at that time, and you're talking about 1280, which equals this in raising the level of woman to this height of the divine creator. Yes. That's one thing, and I think yes. maybe you'd like to comment on that. And the other thing is in terms of ecumenical understanding of the diversity of religions, religious plurality, there's no story to my mind and to my knowledge, which equals, I mean, that is to say, outside of certain stories in the Upanishads and the Vedas, but at least in the Semitic tradition, which equals the story of Moses and the shepherds. So these are, these are classical stories, you know, the religion of love is apart from all other religions. This is written in 1280. Yes. And you see, this mm-hmm. last, uh, this part which is in calligraphy, this is actually the last uh, lines of the story of this chapter which uh, unfortunately I, do, I have not given the English but the uh, Persian is taze zahro az shikar dar nagzari keto az gulzar vahdat bubari you see there are, the world is full of contrasts and conflicts there is uh, the sugar and there is the venom there is the what you call poison poison poison. So, if you do not raise yourself from, from the level of, con- level of conflicts and come to the world of unity, then you cannot uh, enjoy yourself of that realm of unity. And then he adds, Vahdatan dar vahdatasin masnavi. This masnavi is unity in unity. Uh, if you, even if it covers from the earth to the heaven. It covers all beings, but still it is unity in unity, and uh, he does not believe in conflicts. Um, what does he finally believe about the concept of laziness and work, which has come up today? You mentioned the concept of laziness at the beginning, and then we have a story about work. Uh, I mean, what does Rumi think about the the disputation between those that advocate laziness and those that advocate action. Oh, laziness. Yes. Yes, you know, this... uh, He actually narrates a story that there was a man who uh, had three sons and then he he wanted to divide his uh, wealth and riches and estates between them. And then he told his lawyer, his... uh, what you call him, 
his advocate, his steward. Yes, that you have to divide it according to which is the more lazy, and give most to the most laziest. And then he comments on that, that to be lazy is to stop making any plot against God. You see, when you are, uh, <clears throat> you are trying hard, well, what, what can I do to make the most of my life? What can I do to, to, to make money? What can I do to do this and that? You shouldn't do that. You should just say, what can I do, to, what can I best to do which uh, makes God content? So in that case, you, you do not have much to do. You should not struggle too much. Because you have to tell the truth. You should not think of a hundred stories to tell. You see? So the one who is uh, totally free from all the strive, strivings of selfish desires, he is the nearest to God. Yes. Yes, Hayrat, bewilderment is before annihilation. Actually, the stage and I mean the station or a stage of Hayrat is like a tavern. You enter the tavern by the door of unification because the fifth is unification, Tawheed, and by this door you enter bewilderment. It's a tavern where you drink wine and then you get so much intoxicated that you go out into the wilderness of, of annihilation. So it is in between unification and annihilation. And according to uh, Farabi, a great uh, philosopher before Avicenna, and in some respects greater than Avicenna, mm -hmm. he's actually the master of Avicenna. He says that, Unzur ilal ilal Just take a look to, to, that, to that one, to that unified uh, one, and then you will be bewildered to the end of your life. Just take a look at that one, that single one. So uh, this unification has something to do with bewilderment. Actually, Dante, when he, uh, in paradise, when he sees that vision finally through um, St. Bernard mm -hmm. and uh, through mediation of uh, St. Mary, he finally succeeds to see for one moment a vision of God. And then when he sees that single vision, he says that uh, I found that the whole world, which were the scattered leaves of a book, were bound and uh, were binded together and were turned into a, a single volume of book, which is the book of love. And then he says that if I say that language is faulty, I am praising language. I mean, uh, if I say my tongue is faulty to express it, it is um, uh, a compliment for the tongue because not even uh, in faulty expression he can say anything of that vision. So bewilderment is uh, a natural uh, consequence of finding that unification and that vision. Thank you. So, well, yes, uh, yes. I this is uh, all be very interesting most inspiring uh, music. Of course, it's very simple. Maybe the technique is not very high, but it is like the chupan, like the shepherd. It is full of simplicity, 
if you, and love. If you look at number three, he's, um, this is the Persian of the English here, Moses saw shepherd on the way. Apologize for the bad quality of the tape recorder. Maybe next time we'll bring something better. We'll listen to five lines and then... That's the drop from the ocean of the Masnavi. Yeah. The whole Masnavi is sung in this meter, in this style of singing, which is the Afshari yeah. mode of the Masnavi. Yeah. And you know, one of the qualities of Persian vocal music is that the one who is singing is not performing uh, a musical performance to show that how, how skillful he is in that. He is just dedicated to the poetry. And often it happens that uh, the singer starts singing, uh, starts shedding tears, and he stops the singing, and then resumes again. And suddenly he stops and asks a master, 
because my father had some gatherings and uh, some of his friends started singing Masnavi. They started to sing from somewhere and then he stopped it suddenly and then, well, what does that mean, that line? Uh, then, and then he resumes again. You see, it is not like a musical performance. It's just uh, being happy and rejoicing in, in the poetry. Thank you very much.